Our scripture reading today is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. And our sermon title today is The Joy of Self-Forgetfulness. This is the Lord's word. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation, commendation from God. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his word. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see all of you this morning. It's good to be back here at the YMCA. Last week we were at uh, uh, Westminster, Camp Westminster for our retreat. Uh, for those of you who were able to participate, I do know that the Lord blessed many of you. Remember, the retreat is a time not to sort of uh, fill yourself up and sort of run on empty again, but it's a time to reset your heart, to reset your mind, uh, to sort of Start to fight all over again with God, knowing, of course, that the Spirit is always at work in you. Be confident that God works in you. Be confident of his love for you. Be confident that in this church, that the Lord's name and his purposes will prevail. In our message today, we are looking on what it means to forget about ourselves and what it means to find ourselves by looking to Christ. This is a phrase, a philosophy, a way of living that is very, very foreign to our world today. Our world today tells us that we must have a reasonable sense of who we are, to have a self-esteem about ourselves, that the more we understand who we are and are, are proud of who we are and have that sense of why we are here on this earth, what our purposes may be, to the extent that we understand that, to the extent that we be happy and joyful in our lives. And so it goes. The problem with us is that our self-esteem is either too low, and we think negatively about ourselves all the time, or it's too high, and we think way too much of ourselves. And that our goal is simply to have a reasonable expectation of who we are. But there's something wrong 
with the diagnosis of high self-esteem or low self-esteem. And what's wrong with it is not the word high nor the word low, but it's the word self. The problem with the movement of self-esteem is the word self. There are perils to this movement that we need to look at, even from a very human perspective. Number one is this. You yourself are changing. And you yourself will continue to change. It is like the, the old Greek philosophers say, you never step into the same stream twice. It keeps changing. To say that you know who you are today is like saying you know who you are at this very second. But who you are changes, does it not? As you get older, the circumstances that you have. In fact, it's a reason why we have so many biographies of so many historical people. The perspective of who these people were in the past changes with each successive generation. And you yourself, if I were to ask you to give your testimony today of who you are and how God has met you and changed you, it would look different if I asked you to write that same essay a year later, five years later, ten years later. In fact, trying to figure out who you are, it's like a chasing after the wind in many ways. Second is this. To know yourself is almost an impossible task because who you are is dictated by the relationships around you. You are, whether you know it or not, different, act differently towards your parents than you do with your friends. You act differently towards people in your workplace than you do with a stranger at, at Publix. And in fact, as your relationships continue to change, you yourself change. There are aspects of who you are that only other people can bring out in you. Some of you have a silly side, but no one's ever seen that silly side because they can't bring it out in you. Some of you have a very introspective and deep, thoughtful side. For some reason, your parents can't bring that out of you, perhaps. And so in many ways, a searching after yourself and to have self-esteem in that, it's a difficult task. It's why there are many, many, many books written on it, and yet no one has an answer to it. But there's something that even our world can see and understand, is that the less we look at ourselves, the more joyful we get at times. I still remember, you know, there's, there's people will post on Facebook all the time, and my favorite postings on Facebook that I see from my Facebook, I guess you'd call them friends, right? I guess they're friends. Well, you know, the, the people who are Facebook friends with. 
is I love when they go to these majestic places, like they go to the Grand Canyon or Yellowstone, or, or they go to, uh, to, to Southeast Asia and, the, and these beautiful, beautiful um, uh, structures and, and nature. You see a, a picture of them, they're small, and they look and they see the grandeur of nature or the grandeur of even what humanity has built. And their caption is always, how beautiful this is. I wish I could capture this moment for the rest of my life. I wish I could sit here and stay here and just meditate on the grandness and the greatness that I see. And for many people, it's where you feel most at peace. It's not when you're trying to search yourself, but when you see the grandeur of something bigger than you. It's not when you're one-to-one someone trying to figure out who you are face-to-face and talking about yourself, but it's when you're both turned and facing something greater and grander that you feel at peace. I dare say, you know, I've never been to a, a concert, but I have friends who love going to concerts when I was in high school back in the day. But I can imagine some of you went to, let's say, a Beyonce concert. You know no one there. And you're just sort of enjoying the music. And you hear someone next to you never met before, and they start singing, you start singing, you start looking at each other, you sort of you know, recognize each other, you sort of just singing together before the night goes... The night goes on and on, and before you know it, you're like hugging each other and, and just enjoying the music. You've never talked about who you are. Your name, you don't even know their names. But there's a connection, almost a humanity, in enjoying something other than yourself. Even the world understands. That's to simply look at yourself or to help someone to look deeper into their hearts or into their identity is a chasing after the wind. But to look and to point to one another to something greater or grander is what gives us joy. Now this is a long introduction. The second thing I want to say is this. The millennial generation today, you guys really, really have it tough with this. And it, it, it is what straps you down. It is what's the cause of many of your insecurities, many of your, if I could say it this way, I don't want to say depression, but your blues that you have. It's because you're trying to find who you are. Now, my generation is a little bit different. You know, born, in the, uh, born in the 1970. And as a, my parents immigrated here, so we were the first of the second gen Asian Americans or Korean Americans here. I did not have the privilege to figure out my ethnic identity. I did not have the privilege to figure out who I am. I just had to survive. 
I just had to, I just had to figure out what to do and, and get it done. When I became a pastor, I didn't have a choice of sort of where do I want to minister to. I had to go to the Asian American church. Why is that? Because the other churches out there will never take me. So I went to a Korean church. Even though I had issues, didn't have a choice, had to go. Nowadays, though, all of you, many of you, have a choice to go anywhere you want. Be anything you want. Figure out what does it mean to be Asian. Figure out what it means to be Asian American. Figure out what it means to be living in America. Figure out what does it mean to be a male. What does it mean to be a female. What does it mean to be a student. What is and all of these things sort of instead of helping you to understand who you are, they fragment you even more. This understanding of self-esteem, of finding who you are actually hinders you rather than helps you. I had a choice of only three cereals when I grew up. Now there's way too many cereals out there. Even in our house, we have, I think, seven different cereals in our house. I don't know why, we just do. <laughs> when I grew up, we had one. But trying to figure out who you are, because you have your, all these choices, it's a chasing after the wind. And so the question then becomes, who are we? How can we find who we are? What does it mean to forget about ourselves? And what is it that we can look to that will bring about a sense of identity, a sense of peace, and really a joy and a freedom that comes in knowing our God. In this passage, uh, there are, it's broken up into two different sections. And so this first section is about how you should look at your leaders or at your pastors. And this is a little bit of an aside in terms of why I wanted to go, but it's in the scripture, so I really want to talk about this for a little bit. You see, Paul was having difficulties because the church in Corinth was doing what we're doing, judging by externals, trying to figure out who everyone is according to perhaps their education, perhaps according to here in this passage, according to how good of a pastor Paul is. What does he look like? How's his oratory skills like? What is his physical appearance, his stature like? And the church became so obsessed with this that Paul had to reprimand them. You see, when you look at your pastor and the leaders of the church, we must not be tempted to make them into heroes. We must not be tempted to simply judge pastors by their oratory skills or to judge them by their uh, appearance. Please don't judge me by my appearance. Uh, unless it's a good one. Uh, but why are people laughing? But uh, we are 
But what we look to in our pastors is simply a faithfulness to God himself. I liked what our speaker said last week, um, Pastor B or Pastor Beyond, about the mature Christian. And I believe this is very true, that the mature Christian is actually easily encouraged. That to encourage a Christian doesn't take huge oratory skills, doesn't take a, take a huge meal or show of affection. The mature Christian simply needs someone to walk with them and say something as simple as, Jesus loves you and I love you. And so Paul was telling the church in Corinth, do not be the immature believer, but be the mature believer. Be encouraged by your leaders that you have and the simple gospel that they teach you and show you. That we're not here to judge externals. That we're still not here to come up with a, a church esteem. But we simply esteem Christ in our leaders and one another. One thing that you have to realize about, especially myself here, us being an ordained pastor. I'm here to serve the church. I'm here to love you. I'm here to teach you and show you what I believe you need to hear from scriptures and from, from the Lord himself. But I'm not your servant. Okay, listen to this carefully. I'm not your servant. I don't answer to you. <laughs> what do you mean? What does Paul say? Paul answers to Christ. The way I can be the best servant to you is to hear you, but to serve you according to what my master tells me to give you. And so later on, when we have elders and deacons in this church, we're not looking for people who will please the membership here. Later on, if something happens to me, you don't look for a pastor who just please the members here. But you look for someone who fears the Lord and loves the Lord above all else and is seeking to bring you closer to the Lord. This is what Paul tells the church and what Paul means for us. In verse 4 and 5, or 3 and 4, sorry, Paul goes on to say something that I believe is not only meant for the leaders, but for all of us as well. To understand who we are and to understand where it is our identity must stand. He says that he does not look for approval from human courts. That he's not judged any way by them. And if you look at that, you can see that Paul is free from whatever is said from the people 
around them. So we're not only talking about the judicial courts, him as a Roman citizen, but also the realm of human approval that is about him, whether it's the church in Corinth or even his own apostles, friends in Jerusalem who he conflicted with. But he only sought approval from one person, that was Christ himself. I think many times in our society today, our understanding of who we are and approval comes from other people telling you how you should define yourself. You need to define yourself as an Asian. That is who you are. You need to define yourself as a woman. That is who you are. And if you happen to be an Asian woman, define yourself as an Asian woman. You need to define yourself as a liberal. Define yourself as a liberal. And the world sort of puts these structures upon you and judges you accordingly. You, want to, you know how you want to confuse someone? I'm going to talk to you Emory students a little bit. You, Emory, you, you go walk out in Emory as an Asian girl, dress as liberally as you can, hold up a for Trump sign, and walk around. I dare you to. They'll look at you and go, this is not compute, this is not compute, this is not compute. Because it, it won't. The court of, of humanity defining you should never be the court upon which we fix our identity in. I will tell you, those courts will change their target every semester, every year, every place that you go. And you'll be even more and more confused of who you are. Another thing that he's not judged by in verse 3, and we should not be judged by, is I do not even judge myself. He's not even judged by his own conscience. And I, and I, I think this is the most beautiful thing. <coughs> we have inside of ourselves still the, the old person. Even though we know Christ, we have the old person that lives in you. And no matter how many times you hear someone say to you, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You are a child of God. A big part of you says, I am an orphan and nobody loves me. Even if someone says to you, all you need is the love and the approval of God himself, that he is the only one who knows the, the deepest parts of who you are, there's a part of us that says, I need this person to like me. And your conscience betrays you. Your thoughts betray you. Our identity should never be in even our own conscience. Really? Yeah, really. When someone says to you, 
be true to yourself. Take that with a grain of salt. I know we all say it to one another. <laughs> At least say it to your kids. And, and I know that you're using a different context, but our brains will take that and warp it into, into, into saying, oh, I want to be whatever I want to be. Whatever comes up in my heart, that's what I'm going to be. But there's something about when you are told to be who you are, that's never the best parts of who you are that come out. It's the selfish parts of you who come out. And so we're not even supposed to be judged by our own conscience at all. Now, what do these two have in common? It all, it all has in common looking at self and as self being the source of identity. It's like, this is, this is wacky, Pastor. What are you talking about? Isn't the self, isn't that what identity is? Self? No, not here. Not primary. We just sang, right? I've been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. We hear in Philippians, to live is Christ, to die is gain. We hear in Matthew, take up your own cross and follow me. The call to scripture is not to find self, it's to die to self. And in dying to self, you find yourself in another. And this is something that we forget. And this is something in society that we forget. And this is something in churches, if I dare say, that we have forgotten. When I became a pastor, the call was very simple. It wasn't to find myself, find my identity, uh, help other people to sort of live a better life. The call is very simple. Die to yourself. It's very simple. Well, what part of myself? Everything. Today when I see people going to ministry or people going to church, I see them going to church to sort of find their identity. Tell me who I am. Tell me what I should be. And for some reason, it's not enough when I say to them, when God says to them, just die to yourself. Die to your ethnicity. Die to your gender. Die to your sexuality. Die to all things for the sake of Christ. No, 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 that's not what Christ, that's what Christ wants. And let Christ redeem it. All too often when I see people in, in, um, in mixed marriages, there are some people who thrive and some people who have a real hard time. But you know, when you're called to marry someone, you're called to die. And there's often a point that if you're Asian and you marry someone who's not Asian, you know what happens? Part of your Asian-ness will not be cultivated anymore. And in some sense, it looks like, it feels like you're dying. 
In God's eyes, you know what? That's okay. In the world's eyes, guess what? It's not okay. For us here at, at this church, right, we're predominantly Asian. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Rebecca, I'm going to pick on you, but I, I love you to death. I, I love Rebecca on being here. But there's a call that she has that, that we understand as well. There will be some things that we say that's not going to touch your heart as much as you guys. But she's called to this church. She's called to, to die a little bit to that. Just like us, if we went to a predominantly non-Asian church and we decided to love that church, there will be parts of us, some of us, who we hear something and it just doesn't click. It makes sense. It just doesn't click. That's okay if you're called to love that church. Called to die to yourself. We're all called to die to ourselves. We're all called to find our identity in Christ. We're all called to say, you know what, there are parts of me in this church that are not being celebrated. We'll do our best, but guess what? We can't celebrate the fullness of each individual. Only God can do that. And only you running to God can do that as well. God wants you to have joy in knowing that as you love other people and love Jesus, that as you do so and parts of you start to die because of it, that there's joy because you're finding God in that dying. So for many of us, it comes down to Jesus himself. Jesus had no self-esteem. Jesus did everything for God. Jesus had God-esteem. Jesus did everything for his glory. He was tempted not to, but in prayer, he always went to God. And even before he dies, he says, take this cup from me. I don't want to die for you. I don't want to die. But your will be done and not my will be done. Jesus not, did not define himself at that point as a second person in the Trinity, but he defined himself with us as sinners, as people to be punished. And he took on our death, and our punishment. Jesus does not look at himself and see the loss of his divinity, the loss of his character, the loss of his godness as something to be lamented for the sake of being lamented. If God himself can give up all things for you, And God carried that cross for you. Our call is to take off anything that God asks us to. 
But here's where, where the joy comes in. We don't take things off for the think, sake of taking things off. We don't die simply for the sake of dying. Jesus didn't die simply to die. <laughs> okay? You are not here to feel pain just to feel pain. You're not here to feel ostracized just to feel ostracized. You're not here to feel, a, to be, to feel like a stranger, uh, be a stranger just be, to feel like a stranger. And if you do so, this, this gospel thing will not work for you. This Jesus thing will not work for you. But the secret of self-forgetfulness is to gaze upon Jesus in the cross and to gain Jesus and to add knowledge of him in your life. Add the greatness of his love in your life. Add the presence in your love, his love in your life as pieces of you fall away. It's in exchange for that that our self-forgetfulness becomes easy. We must be people who don't simply gaze on one another and try to sort of understand each other fully, but we must be a people who turn each other's gaze to Christ and enjoy the glory that Christ has for us. So brothers and sisters, Don't be true to yourselves. Be true to God. Brothers and sisters, don't have, don't have self-esteem. Have God-esteem. Brothers and sisters, know that Jesus has done this for you and has shown you the glory of God, a glory that can sustain you, a glory that gives you joy a glory that awaits for you as well in heaven. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. There is no one like you, Lord God. And we ask of you, Lord God, to help us, Lord, to forget about ourselves, Lord Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that we forget who we are as individuals that have been made in the image of God and the gifts that you've given us. But we confess to you, Lord, that we think too much of ourselves we think too much of, of ourselves that, that we reference our whole life and our being around me instead of around you. For Father, when we understand properly that we're made in your image, that we're made to worship you, that we're made to circle around you, Lord God, that we find out what it means to be who we are, Lord God. And Lord, even though, even though things in this world change, Lord, even though the definition of ethnicities and gender might be all over the place in this world, Lord, we are, with, we are in fact defined by who you are and your love for us above all else, Lord God. So just be with all of us, Lord. Help us just to die to ourselves. Help us to know, Lord, that none of us will ever be fully understood 
by anyone else in this room. Not even if we're married. We just never will be. The only, ones, the only one who can understand us completely is you. So we come to you and ask of you, Lord God, to take away ourselves, help us to die to ourselves, and to find you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.